It has occurred to me that most American Christians are just as much in love with a certain style of Christianity as they are with fast food, and for very similar reasons. It's fast, it's easy, it's cheap, and it requires no real personal involvement to get fed. But is that the right model? Hi, this is Brandon, and welcome to the Crucible of Thought podcast. I'm here to share things that interest me and things that I think the Lord has brought to my attention. And today's episode is titled, Billions and Billions Served. Take a look at the advertisement for any fast food burger joint. Don't the burger and fries in those pictures look really appealing? Seriously, crispy fries and the burger looks oh so juicy. Nicely melted cheese, that lettuce, those tomatoes just look perfect. And all I had to do was pay $12, wait a couple minutes, and bam! Hot, tasty, filling meal. What's not to like about a good fast food joint? We Americans have a serious love affair with McDonald's and similar fast food restaurants. It might not be perfect, but it's consistent, it's tasty, we can choose just about anything we want, delivered in minutes with little or no work on our part. Okay, maybe it's not the most healthy option for food, but it's filling and it's convenient. Maybe you can already see where I'm going with this. Recently a phrase crept into my vocabulary, and I keep returning to it because it keeps being more and more relevant to discussions that I'm having, and that phrase is McDonald's Christianity. I've been living outside of institutional church culture for a few months now, which has given me new clarity about things that I formerly took for granted. It occurred to me that most American Christians are just in love with a certain style of Christianity, as they are with fast food, and for similar reasons. I want to walk into an establishment, pay someone $12, have them hand me a convenient meal, and walk out without any fuss or cleanup or dishes. I'd rather not kill the cow or dig up the potatoes or any of that mess. I'll just pay you to serve me, thanks. Well, what does the average Sunday morning look like for most Christians? I want to walk into an institutional church, pay someone 10%, have them hand me a convenient spiritual meal, and walk out without any lingering guilt or clean-up or responsibilities. I'd rather not have my sacred cow killed or dig up my own spiritual food or any of that mess. I'll just pay you to serve me, thanks. Obviously, the traditional Western church model is easy for most people. It's convenient. The pastor is responsible for hearing from the Lord on my behalf. I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray each day, sure, but it's really up to my shepherd to tell me where to go and what to do, to lead me beside still waters, and to provide food for me. It's cleaner. Someone else has the responsibility of handling all the other messy people and situations that might disturb my peace. Sure, I might have to pray for them or cook a meal train dinner every so often, but that's about the limit of it. It's cheaper. That 10% tithe covers all my financial duties to the Lord, rather than him getting 100% of what I own. It's less complicated. I don't have to decide what ministries to personally support, because the church splits out that 10% to whomever the pastor and maybe the elders feel that the church should support. It's less uncertain. Someone else tells me what to believe, and I never really have to wrestle with whether the Bible actually supports that doctrine or how precisely the Lord is telling me to act or move on a daily basis. So it's hard to argue with the convenience and the clarity of that whole arrangement. But is that really a model that the Bible ever suggested? I would argue that it's actually unbiblical. 
Even though it's apparently served the church well for quite a long time, I'm increasingly of the opinion that the Sunday morning model that's in place in almost every institutional church in the Western world has some serious flaws and leads to some serious deficiencies in the Christians, quote-unquote, that it produces. It produces a culture of dependency. The vast majority of the members of any church implicitly expect other people to do most of the hard work. Now, there are always a number of committed and deeply involved members. I was one of them for over 30 years, always busy with something. But most of the attendees are only minimally involved. It's the 90-10 rule. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And it eliminates any requirement on each Christian to contribute spiritually to every event. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. All things are to be done for edification. Well, each one means everyone, regardless of gender, age, even spiritual maturity. But when there's one preacher and one worship leader and one sermon, only a few people really contribute on a given Sunday morning, and it's usually the same people every week. And it allows immaturity to persist. When all the work is done by a few, the immature are never really challenged. But when everyone contributes, when that expectation exists and it's explicit, nobody gets to hide in the dark corners. Proverbs 17.28 says, Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. But when you're expected and required to participate, it becomes immediately apparent which people are lacking wisdom and maturity. And so that expected involvement drives each one to pursue maturity, not simply to allow themselves to appear foolish. It allows people to be lazy during the week. Any pastor or small group leader knows, and will happily tell you, that there's a lot of preparation time required during the week to have something to bring the group for the meeting. So the requirement to be part of the dialogue and the teaching and the worship gives incentive to seek the Lord for his download, if you will, ahead of time. But when someone else handles all that, there's no urgency for anyone else. This model allows people to avoid serving one another. When the institution organizes and handles all the needs of the saints' ministry, it's easy to not pay attention to the needs of those who are around us. Someone else is responsible until we agree to get involved at least. When those needs exist outside a small committed group of intimately familiar people, we have the option to ignore those needs. The model allows people to let someone else decide what to do with the finances the Lord has given them. If the church is making all the decisions, we don't have to seek the Lord for his will for the dollars that he gave us to steward. We just write that weekly tithe check or we let that direct debit or EBT handle it automatically straight out of our paycheck, so we never even have to remember. That model takes away from the need to constantly seek the Holy Spirit for guidance. Having a pastor, a shepherd, looking out for our spirits, it's a wonderful thing, but the typical Western institutional church setup makes that lead pastor into kind of a one-man stop for all the fivefold gifts in our lives. He becomes the evangelist, directing the activities towards salvic outreach. He becomes the prophet, hearing the Lord's voice for us. He becomes the apostle, setting the overall direction of the assembly and organizing its government. He becomes the lead teacher, deciding what and when we learn. And he's the pastor who's expected to effectively care for hundreds of people. And on top of that, he's really the CEO of the legal structure wrapped around the ministry. 
and we're expected to abide by his decisions for what's spiritually best for us and for the organization and the ministry, even if we're not in a legalistic or controlling kind of church. In some sense, the pastor really is the main person expected to hear the Holy Spirit, not each and every believer each and every day. That model also teaches us to trust someone else's spiritual sense for us more than the Holy Spirit himself. Even in churches that actively teach how to hear the Spirit speaking to them, it's extremely risky to follow the Spirit's leading and direction other than where the organization's going. It squelches any kind of dissent, even healthy dissent, where the Lord might be leading someone in the church to a different direction than the church leadership might be pulling. So it becomes conformist because there's an implicit and often explicit understanding that if we sense something other than what's said from the pulpit, well, we must be in error and we're called to repent, or at best we're taken aside for the talk. Uh, that model doesn't pursue true discipleship. That word disciple meant something entirely different to Jews and early believers and even to Jesus himself than it does to most of us. To them, it meant giving up everything comfortable, leaving family and home of origin, and fully devoting yourself 100% to following and serving a rabbi, all in a quest to mature and become a wise and respected rabbi yourself someday. That's nothing like the join a disciple group for a weekly hour-long Bible study answer that you'd certainly get if you ask most American Christians about what the word disciple means in their church. And finally, it's all about the numbers, not the quality. A few years ago, McDonald's changed the slogan on every franchise restaurant sign to read, Billions and Billions Served. They were very proud of the fact that they couldn't even count the number of people they'd served. But they weren't saying, we've provided the best food ever served. You won't see the Billions Served logo or slogan on that small mom-and-pop diner sign, but you'll often see something like, Our Town's Best Pie, or Serving the World's Finest Coffee. And that comes with a strong sense of quality. Similarly, too many churches today seem focused on the number of conversions and not the quality of the disciples. So, with all that said, to me, the McDonald's Christianity model that's squarely in place in nearly every Western or American church doesn't look much like how the Bible describes the process of go and make disciples of all men. Instead, it produces a vast crop of people who are immature, who have never been challenged to constantly seek the Lord for his word and will for them on a daily and weekly basis, and who are content to let someone else manage their spiritual life pretty much until the day they die. Unfortunately, there's not that much out there that looks different from that model. You can't just decide, well, we'll pick a church that looks like the biblical description, because there really aren't that many of them out there. Perhaps the only thing that does look like that model are small house churches, where everyone's involved, and it's not about the numbers, but about the relationships between the members and their Lord. Now, that isn't to say that the Sunday morning institutional church has no value. For better or for worse, most Americans will look there for help if they're in a spiritual crisis. It's what we've taught people to think about when they want to meet God. So, therefore, it has some value as a point of introduction and involvement. But it doesn't seem to me that it will ever be capable of producing truly mature disciples of Christ. The only place I see that possibly happening in the current Western Christian church model is in the small groups. But that still won't happen unless the church considers the small group to be the absolute lifeblood of its process, not simply some feeder to the Sunday morning experience, and not simply calling a mere Bible study discipleship. 
But more than that, it also requires the church leadership to constantly divest itself of being the sole provider and source of spiritual authority. And that's exceedingly rare, even in churches that have strong small groups. I can't see any way to have people who are trained to be dependent on centralized scriptural authority and management simultaneously expecting them to really mature into self-sufficient, spirit-dependent, constantly contributing, and truly Christ-like believers. Well, if you don't insist on reforming the institutional church model away from this McDonald's Christianity, trying to somehow fix these deficiencies, the only alternative I see is to stop doing church, to stop using the institution as the source of spiritual fast food. But it should be fairly obvious that the resulting lifestyle is going to be dramatically different and not at all easy or simple. Nobody's going to make your spiritual burger and fries or soda or coffee for you. The only nutrition you get will be from the Word directly and from those in your small fellowship. You'll have to put in the time during the week to hear from the Lord, not only on your own behalf, but also explicitly on behalf of those in your small fellowship. You'll have to deal with their messes and mess-ups and emergencies and illnesses, just like they'll help you through yours. Nobody else will make your spiritual decisions for you. The Holy Spirit will have to be your constant companion and source of decision-making wisdom. And no one else is going to decide where to send your offerings or ministry money. So it won't be easy. It likely won't be a lot of fun, quote-unquote fun, either. But it will be joyful. It'll be fulfilling. It'll lead to growth. It'll build you together with your small group family into a rock-solid body, able to weather storms. It'll be so unlike anything the world sees that others will want to know about this God that you serve. When you invite someone to join, it will be into your spiritual family, not some impersonal service. So, I'm pretty much done with McDonald's Christianity. I spent 48 years of my life in that model, and I honor what it did to bring me to the point where I am today. But I sense that the Lord is now shaking that model to its very core. Many people will certainly hang on to it for dear life. It's the only life they know, and it's too scary for many to step outside that life. But others, many others, have already recognized that it won't do the job, and they're separating themselves from the institutions so that they can find the Lord on His terms face-to-face. Look, just search for the word deconstruction for a hint of the issue and the mess that's involved. I expect it will be messy for a while. Upheaval's always messy. And it's never without casualties. Some will certainly be lost in the fuss and the shuffle. But I don't see any other way forward towards what God seems to be trying to do in this season. And hanging on to an old model prevents us from adopting a better one. So I welcome the fuss and confusion and shuffle and discomfort because I value the end result more than I value my previous comfort and stability. So I invite you to join me on this wild ride, and thanks for being a part of it with me.